Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 21. So listen now for the word of God. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times, seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and a payment to be made. But the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him all the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the king what had taken place. And the king summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay the entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A colleague of mine in North Carolina begins his sermon every week by saying, Will you pray for the one who preaches for his sins are many? On a Sunday that we're going to talk about forgiveness, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, it seems appropriate that we might call on God in prayer together. So let us pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, O God. Clear our hearts and minds of all that blocks us from hearing your word afresh. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our forgiving, loving, saving, and redeeming Lord. Amen. So we have been exploring the Lord's Prayer together for several weeks now. Making our way through that prayer that most of us pray each week one line at a time. And we've arrived this week at the center of the prayer. You could argue it's the center of the Christian story, forgiveness and grace through Christ. 
This is not a new topic for this congregation. For those of you who worshiped with us this past Lent, we unpacked forgiveness from all kinds of different perspectives as we awaited the good news of Easter. But the Lord's Prayer gives us yet another lens, a fresh way for us to consider God's power of forgiveness for us and for the world. So today we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I have to say that the funniest thing about this particular line in the Lord's Prayer is that if there is any line of the Lord's Prayer that's going to stir up debate and a bit of a kerfuffle, it's this one. All of us think that we pray this line in the right way, but if you put a large group of Christians in a room together, especially if they grew up in lots of different denominations, and you ask them to say the Lord's Prayer together, someone will inevitably ask, Do we debt, trespass, or sin? And none of us are likely to be graceful about our response. Of course, I would like to say that Presbyterians, the Presbyterian preferred debts is inevitably correct. There are scholars out there that say there are reasons for thinking that Matthew's reference to debts is closest to Jesus' Aramaic words. But I did some digging into this question this week, and I'm not sure that we can claim such self-righteous superiority. Some scholars say that it's William Tyndall's fault. Tyndall was a biblical scholar and a linguist during the Protestant Reformation, and he was the one to translate the, the English Bible, the first one, to translate the English Bible direct from the Hebrew and Greek. And he translated the Lord's Prayer by saying, forgive us our trespasses. Others, all the way back to Augustine, had previously translated it as debts, and despite other English translators switching it back, it stuck. But then I did a little more digging, and the truth is that even the gospel writers don't agree. There are two versions of the Lord's Prayer in our Bible, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And Luke uses the Greek word for sin or trespass, and Matthew uses the Greek word for debt. Our fixation over how we say this prayer, I think, is a way in which we can distract ourselves from the heartbeat of what this prayer is all about to begin with. God's forgiveness that calls us to forgive others. But... Since our gospel lesson for this morning comes from Matthew, and I kind of like to be right, today we're going to consider what it means to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Of course, the use of the word debts is more than about just being right in our liturgy. As a skilled rabbi, Jesus had a way of teaching and preaching and even praying using images and words that mean something to us. He chose words that make really big, powerful, but somewhat nebulous concepts like grace accessible. And Jesus often talked about money, because whether you have a lot of it or a little, everyone interacts with it. And those who participated in the first century economy knew a thing or two about debt. 
But the truth is that's no different for any of us today. There was a professor who one day went to visit his attorney's spouse as she was representing a client in bankruptcy court. And as he was sitting in the court, he noticed that as the court is called into session, and before anything about the case has been heard, the bailiff comes into the room and says, all debtors rise, and everyone in the room stands up. All of us know debt. Whether it's student loans or credit cards or medical debt or a car payment or a mortgage, it is hard to exist in this world without the reality that you owe something to somebody. Reports vary, but the average American holds somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 in debt. And it can be crippling. No matter how much we're saddled by it, none of us like to talk about it, but it's out there. It floats in our vernacular. We say things like, oh, I owe you one, or a promise I'll pay you back, or these days, how much should I Venmo you? We are so accustomed to being indebted to one another that to receive any kind of genuine gift that requires no reciprocal action feels foreign. To have debt forgiven, we don't even know what to do with that kind of release. Jesus understood then as now that debt can literally weigh us down, so in teaching what God's grace looks like, he invites us to pray, forgive us our debts. The petition points us to a kind of freedom that can only be a gift from God. A friend of mine named Ben has been caring for his elderly friend Jim for some time. Jim doesn't have any family. And in recent years, as his health has declined, he's needed help navigating everything from paying the bills to making medical decisions. Ben and Jim have known each other for years. But there was a day that Jim came to Ben and his wife and asked if they could be his person the one to handle legal things when his, with his estate when the time came, but also to make sure that decisions were made to take care of him as he grew weaker. And it was a really big ask, but Ben loves Jim. They feel like they are family, and so he and his wife were quick to say yes. But their lives have moved around, and they live in different cities now. And so this commitment to friendship and care carries a cost. Frequent flights and hotels to check in on them and to make sure that everything is taken care of. And the thing is, they gladly do it out of love. No payment required. But during uh, their last visit, Jim was having kind of a frank conversation with Ben and he bluntly looked at him and said, how much do you owe on your house? Ben was like, well, that's kind of a personal question, and I'm not even sure I know the exact number except that it's a lot. So he reluctantly shared the number, and the next day, Ben was coming by to visit Jim one more time on his way out of town, and Jim handed him an envelope. And it was a check to pay off their entire mortgage and then some. And Ben and his wife didn't know how to receive that kind of a gift, 
They tried to give it back. They didn't want him to think in any way, shape, or form that they were supporting him so that they could have any of his resources now or later. And Jim said, I know, but I wanted to be alive to see the delight on your face when you didn't have to worry about that kind of debt anymore. It's a kind of freedom they didn't know how to describe, and it's a gift that they cannot repay. That's what grace looks like. We pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when Jesus talks about forgiveness of debts, he is pointing to the grace of God, a gift that cannot be repaid. The Psalms tell us God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, one who does not hold our mistakes as debts against us. God's forgiveness, Jesus says in today's parable, is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, and though Um, He could have sold his slaves to collect what was owed. He released them and forgave all the debt. Not some of it, all of it. Not to be repaid later, set free. God's grace defies the math tables and economic balance sheets that govern our lives. God's forgiveness sets us free moves the balance sheet to zero, pays off the mortgage out of the blue. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors starts with that really, really good news. The first part of the prayer, we ask knowing that God's grace has already wiped our slate clean. But there are two parts to the prayer today. And our Lord's Prayer calls us to respond to that grace by participating in a life of forgiveness, by letting go of the grip that we have on each other. So when Jesus invites us to pray in this way, he's not just giving us empty words to say so that we can end the prayers of the people. He's inviting us to actively participate in the unfolding of the kingdom of God to make visible thy kingdom come, that we pray as well. Theologian N.T. Wright says, we do not uh, forgive to earn God's forgiveness. Instead, having received God's forgiveness, we are to practice it among ourselves. And it takes practice. Jesus knows that this kind of debt-forgiving math defies our understanding. Because we, we are more like the unforgiving servant than the king in today's parable. Despite mercies poured out on us, we are not quick to forgive. Despite our debt being forgiven by God, we are unlikely to let others go. Most of us prefer grudge to grace. We see it in things like debates about student loan forgiveness, right? If debt is just wiped off one person's plate, somebody else has to pick it up. That's economics. Jesus, the real world doesn't work this way. God's math isn't practical. To wipe away someone's debt costs us something, we want to say. 
But the radical grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, has never been practical. And no one said that living out this petition with each other was going to be easy. When Peter goes to Jesus and says, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? Jesus says, not seven times, not even 70 times, but as many as 70 times seven. Jesus seems to understand that we are that unforgiving servant. Even when we receive God's grace and are set free, we are not good in acting the same way toward each other. And so he's clear that this prayer is something that we are going to have to pray again and again, week after week, because the practice of forgiveness doesn't come naturally. And yet, it is the way, the opportunity, the invitation for us to become partners in the unfolding of the kingdom of God. So we dare to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. My friend Betsy's grandmother came across the art that's on the bulletin cover of our bulletin this morning. It depicts this call to forgive 70 times seven. And she was struck by the way that the artist begins with clear tally marks, with intentionality toward forgiveness. But the more times you forgive, the more the tallies go on from seven to 70 times seven, eventually the marks just all start to blend together so that you are sort of awash in forgiveness. Betsy's grandmother loved this art so much that one year for Christmas, she bought a copy of it for every single member of the family. She said, we are not going to be a family that fights with each other. You are going to look at this print and we are going to know how to forgive. She took that work really seriously. And then, on an unexpected night, her daughter, my friend Betsy's namesake and aunt, was killed by a drunk driver. And she hung that art up in her house, and looking at it, she began the hard work of trying to forgive that driver a debt that he would never be able to repay, the cost of a life. And her grief was heavy. And she's told my friend Betsy that she had to wake up every morning thinking about the tally it would take to forgive him again. One tally at a time, one day at a time, again and again, and eventually she said, even with all of that prayer and effort, I am not going to be free until I forgive that driver to his face. And so she went to the prison where he had been incarcerated for this and other crimes, and she met with the driver who killed her daughter and said, I forgive you, 70 times 7 I forgive you. She worked up this amazing act of forgiveness, the kind that it takes all of our soul's compassion and mercy and grace to give, and it was a beautiful, powerful moment, one where she felt relief and release, a freedom that defied her expectations. 
Years later, she looks at that moment as a turning point in her understanding of what forgiveness meant. But then she looks back at the art, tally mark after tally mark, because it's not just that act of forgiveness. She undertook this mighty act of forgiveness toward a man that owed her a debt that could not be repaid, and yet she said, I still have work to do. Because I still hold a grudge when my husband goes out of town for work and leaves me with the kids. And I still carry around frustration when someone doesn't repay me the kindness that I am owed. And she said, so we are called to this work of forgiveness day in and day out, tally after tally, trying to respond to the gift of God's grace by letting go of the debts that bind us to each other. Working toward the prayer we pray that it might become a reality in our world. I wonder how our lives and our world would be transformed if we took seriously the work of praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. May it be so. Amen.